Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week we focus on a person, historical event or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Look how if I do that, how it defines my cheeks, I'm going to have that expression from there now is, on. She's sucking in. Remember, people can't actually see you. She's sucking in her her cheeks like a fish. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Uh, bonjour. What? I said bonjour. Oh, bon- why? Why are we doing French? Bringing new things. You said, what did you say last week? Good day. So I'm trying to bring some more education, some more flavor, some more culture to us, Sarah. And that was my accent. Did you not understand it? Because it wasn't in that like pigeon English, like bonjour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do it again. So this is your French accent. This is how yeah, French speak. Go on. Bonjour. Bonjour. Oh, yeah. bonjour. Yeah, see, you've got the old bonjour. You sound like Del Boy. Del Boy, I was just going to say exactly like Del Boy. Love it. How are you? Are you good? I'm very well, thank you. I don't think my French is that bad. We have a French speaking service user and I conversed with them in French once. Ça va? J'ai joué au foot. <laughs> oh, I mean, they humoured me more than anything. Yes, I just did... thought this is it's just getting awkward. You did languages at school, didn't you? Yes, it was a long time ago. Just French and German or didn't you, did you do Spanish? I did Spanish at college, but yeah, it, it's not kind of stayed with me, if I'm honest. Not by the look on that person's face when I was like, bonjour, ça va? No. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Um, let's move on. Let's move on from there. But, okay, you know. what have you got for me? So what I have... Well, for I, us, not just me. Well, it is just you and I sitting here, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so I have a little shout-out um, from someone, because obviously we always say if you'd like us to highlight anything that you've got going on around, you know, not literally just like, it's my birthday or I'm going to the shops, not that kind of stuff. Anything around HIV. So I have something from um, Leo Donato and his Instagram is just.jeffrey underscore JS. And he would like us to mention the HIVstopswithme.org website, which is an NY and New York, everyone, in case you didn't know, like me, state HIV campaign consisting of about 25 real people living with HIV throughout all of NY state. They share their personal journey about living with HIV with one mission, and that's to reduce HIV stigma. 
to elevate the self-esteem of individuals living with HIV, as well as to build stronger communities and to be a linkage to care information resource for the community for HIV testing, treatment and prevention. As always, I will put a link below where obviously all the podcast blurb is. Um, but yeah, go check, go, go check him out on Instagram. Go check out the website, website, check out the website. <laughs> it's because I know this episode is going to be so sad. I've just gone into hysteria. So go and check him out on Instagram and go and check out the campaign through their website. But yeah, so thank you for getting in touch and thank you for sharing that project. I've had a look at the website. It's really great. The styling on everyone on the website is fantastic. And when you go on there, you will know what I'm talking about. Really? Better than our styling. Yes, Sarah. Better than our styling. Better than the robe of many colours. Better than the ball bag of Berkshire. Oh, I mean, that's just, that's my, oh, that is my style. Well, it was my style before Will Hampson ruined it. She's burnt the (laughs) robe now. She's burnt it. Yes, I'm on the lookout for a new robe. I think you should get like a bolero, like a tiny, you know, those tiny cardigans. Because I think they're hilarious. No, (laughs) grounding that. Yeah, but you could get a hood and maybe we could put some like fringing from it. No, you're not on board? What about a hat? A sombrero. (gasps) I need a massive hat. Yes, you do. I know just where you can find one. There is a restaurant near me. It's a Mexican restaurant, delicious food. And they have these massive sombreros. And at the bar in this restaurant, they have lots of bar stools and then like a saddle, like a horse's saddle as a stool. But what no one tells you is if you go in there and you sit on the saddle, they force you to wear a sombrero. It's like the the joke chair and they're huge, these massive sombreros and it's awful. And if you don't do it, you have to leave. Right, Nick, one of them. Well, I will get down there this weekend. I will get the sombrero. Oh, how would you get? They let you keep the sombrero. Are you going to have to sneak it out? Yeah, I'm going to have to sneak it out. I don't know how. Maybe you need to come and cause a diversion. We'll use the cloak of many colours, the pube coat. That's a really good idea. I'm not sure why we're now planning a crime on the podcast. No, that's true. Yeah, let's move on. Scrap that. It's not happening. Right. Okay, you ready? Yep, let's go. Well, am I ready? I don't know, Sarah. I feel like it's going to be really sad again. Quick recap. First of all, we're looking at Romania and the high number of children affected in the 80s and early 90s. Last week, we learned that institutions were full of children that had been given up by their parents because of poverty. Many of those children subsequently became infected by HIV because they were regularly given unscreened blood transfusions to boost their immunity. This week, we're looking at the steps Romania took to support these children and how things changed. Episode two, things are starting to look up. Yes, they are. So the first change is that I can't say his name. You're going to have to edit this out. Right. The first change. I'm not editing it out. I am going to make a mega mix of you just trying to say this name is what I'm going to do. The first change is that Ceausescu was overthrown. Not that first time. First time. In 1989. And the communist regime ends. The successive government starts work to address the HIV situation in Romania. So firstly, syringes were distributed in 1990. So they'd been in short supply previously. They were they were reusing them because they were in such short supply. Right. And they were using like, yeah, metal syringes or glass syringes. And then they were boiling them before they reused them, which isn't always possible because that kind of, I mean, the country had many power cuts. Right. Okay. So they were trying, as we said last time, they were genuinely trying to take steps 
to sanitize things, but there just wasn't the um, the facilities to do that, it would appear. Yeah. yeah. Healthcare workers were trained to recognize the clinical features of HIV and AIDS, and they were retrained to use needles and sterilizing equipment. Now, I know it sounds weird, but remember, up until that point, no one was even allowed to talk about HIV. Yes, yeah, exactly. So this is a massive leap forward in itself. It is. And I think if you're having to follow whatever the party line is, which in this case, children are dying of respiratory illnesses, I think you almost become conditioned to just carry on with that narrative. So when they talk about retraining healthcare workers, what what are the features of HIV? It's because of that. Right. Okay. I'm with you. By 1995, Romania had its first AIDS programme. And by 1997, with support from the World Health Organization, they've intensified their efforts to tackle the situation. So they've now got guidelines for blood transfusion and giving transfusions to malnourished children is strongly discouraged. Oh, have you frozen? No, no, I was just really interested. Oh, okay. I can hear you now. That is the stillest you have ever sat in your life. And you're very bouncy normally or wriggly, but not today. Really into it. Okay. So along with that, so it's discouraged to give children blood transfusions unless they need it for medical reasons. Hospitals and blood banks also begin screening for HIV. It's really one of those massive steps that you need at this point, isn't it? Yeah. And they're not like unique steps, are they? They're being followed around the rest of the world. They've just never been implemented in Romania. So this is all good stuff and they're taking it on board and they're doing it, which is fantastic. Yeah. By 2003, they have improved access to ARVs, antiretrovirals. Remember, up until that point, they didn't have any. Yeah. So we should say for any lay people, that's HIV medication at that time. Yes. They became the first country in Europe to benefit from price reductions offered by the pharmaceutical companies. And that enabled Romania to become one of the first countries in Eastern Europe to offer universal access. We've not talked about pricing and HIV medication and pharmaceutical companies before. I think we will do in the future at some point. It's not always transparent kind of how pharmaceuticals manufacture and sell medication, but them offering a price reduction to Romania is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, And it didn't always happen everywhere else. Yeah, that's amazing. But good. I'm glad because people, we knew something needed to happen and yeah, rather than being greedy, stepped up and helped. I like yes. it. Yeah. And they're all good initiatives, right? Yes. Yes. What we like to see. But little mention about the actual children affected and kind of what happened to them and how did their care change. There's one doctor who was the catalyst for change for them. Okay. So the CDC, the Center for D- Disease Control in America, identified in 1990 that 77% of HIV cases were from five regions in Romania mainly in and around Constanta, which is on the Black Sea coast. Do you remember in the last episode, we said the Black Sea is kind of the gateway in and out of Romania for trade, for visitors? Yes, and some sailors would come in and give blood, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So most of the cases are around there. So it's quite localised, I'd say, say, because Romania is a massive country. So the municipal hospital there operated a one-room paediatric clinic with one doctor. And remember how we said how many children were affected by HIV. That doctor was called Rodica Matusa. She didn't have the diagnostic tools or the treatment regimes to deal with HIV. But what she did offer was a lot of compassion. 
So healthcare workers were so terrified to handle the children that were HIV positive that they would resort to just picking them up by um, an arm or a leg. Awful. I know. That's, oh, that, yeah, that's horrible. Well, Dr. Matisse, she she wasn't like that at all. So she became their, well, mainly because she's a doctor, she understands more about HIV transmission rates. So she became like a caring mother figure for them. And she definitely became their biggest advocate. She set up a children's hospice so that children with AIDS had a more suitable environment and she wasn't afraid to hug them. Imagine having been picked up by your arm or your leg or being tied to your bed or your cot and then suddenly someone's happy to hug you. Oh, this makes me, this is like the Ryan White thing. This just makes me want to cry a bit. I know. And she's, you know, none of these children would have been shown much, if any, love up until that point. So I think the healing properties of being touched or hugged would have been very beneficial, especially in a hospice, because there are children that are living with an AIDS diagnosis who haven't got long to live. And she's there giving them hugs and love and showing them what they should have had throughout their life, but they did. Yes. Yeah. She's amazing. She is amazing. But I know it's hard to listen to. I found it hard when I was kind of putting this together because nobody likes to think of a child nearing the end of their life. It's just, no, no one would want to dwell on that. But when you think that they didn't have any love or kindness either, it just makes it worse. And she's there saying, no, these children deserve to have love just to make their day a little bit better. That sounds awful. Stop it. You're making it so, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And a hug can mean everything. And just feeling another person or having someone want to hold your hand. Like, I I just kind of want to stop now. Can I get off? Stop the ride. I want to get off, Sarah. Where's your chocolate digestive? I ate them before we started. And they were dark chocolate ones. I ate them in preparation. Then I got all giddy at the start of the episode. And now I wish I had them. Dark chocolate digestives. They're the best ones. Are you mad? Do you like milk chocolate ones? Yeah, they're way better. Absolutely not. Anyway, let's Moving focus, on. Jess. Very yeah. serious times. Right. So we were talking about an amazing doctor, Dr. Matusa. And she was operating out of one hospital room, but it grew, grew to become a clinic. And a paediatric specialist from America became involved almost by chance, really. His name was Dr. Mark Klein, and he was an HIV paediatric specialist in Houston. They're doing this thing in America. He bumped into a Romanian parliament member at a talk he'd gone to. They got chatting. The parliament member asked Dr. Klein what he did for a living. Here's that he's a paediatric HIV doctor, invites him to Romania to meet some of their paediatric doctors and kind of floats the idea of maybe doing some sort of collaboration. This is in 1996. Dr. Klein visits Romania. He visits the hospitals and the orphanages and he's absolutely floored by what he saw. As in the, the the state that everything was in. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like, oh, okay. But this is more help coming. So this is good. Yeah. It's another positive. Yeah. He goes back to America and he obtains funding to renovate an abandoned orphanage into a day clinic. He knows exactly what needs to be done. He's got the contacts to make that happen. His biggest challenge, I think, is getting people to be interested in Romania. It's quite far removed from America, but he does it. So they've overcome the first hurdle which is enough space to care for every child. But medication was still an issue and the variety of drugs they had available was limited. So we've talked about pharmaceutical companies selling their drugs at a reduced rate to Romania, but we've got to remember that the type of HIV they had, type F, 
Not every combination that was available was effective. So the virus, the say that again, the virus was resistant to some of the medication. Right. Okay. And basically, again, just to explain super basically, that just means that it wouldn't have had an effect on it. Yes. So it's a very specific strain that's obviously mutated over time. And the medication that we have available doesn't always treat it effectively. Oh, this is almost heartbreaking, isn't it? Because you've got like, you're putting all these things in place. There's all this care coming through and everyone's now like paying attention and wanting to help. But actually, there are still these barriers. There are. And a lot of them are around money. Romania is still not a wealthy country, Mm. even with access to subsidized medication they still struggle to meet demand sorry i was going to say i just liked how you uh made up a new word there medication is that medicine and education (laughs) yes no medication so eventually american drug companies did donate supplies and romanian healthcare teams became much better at storing drugs securely that's the other thing and accounting for each dose via a database that didn't always happen before, which would have meant that perhaps some people stole medication. The fact that they had to store drugs securely, they have to account for every dose, that should be standard practice in, in any kind of medical environment. Um, I think if it wasn't happening in Romania, there's the potential for people to steal medication or access it through improper channels because they felt that they needed it. Yes. And and I, I bet you there was some sort of black market for HIV meds springing up so that people could sell them. You know, at times like that, things like that could happen. I'm not saying it did, obviously, just making up Romania's history here. But perhaps that was part of why meds may have been stolen as well. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point, actually. Right, back to lovely Dr. Klein. His vision of ensuring the children had the best chance of long-term success, it was starting to take shape. And he is using his contacts at the CDC and uh, USAID to ensure Romania had access to their expertise and funding. And he developed kind of public-private partnerships to ensure longevity. And that's the key, isn't it? And stability to give the children the medication they need to stay alive. Up until that point, it's been a bit sporadic. These children have been through so much already. They They really have, yes, in a very unstable country. So you can see why these two doctors are amazing because they're like, no, this has to change and we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, It says by 2003, 452 children were on HIV meds. Daily hospital admissions had decreased from an average of 30 during 2001 to four in 2003. And the mortality rate was dropping from 15% to 3%. Everything is heading in the right direction. Yeah, that's uh, there's some there's some good stats, Sarah. I know we talked about how much you hate stats last episode. There's some good stats. Love those. Yes. And the results were also reducing stigma. The children were less isolated. They were living with a treatable condition, not a death sentence. And that meant more people understood that they had nothing to fear by being near them. And that's really important. Were attitudes beginning to change? Yes. Now people knew that this wasn't a death sentence, that there was medication to treat it. Yes. I think attitudes were slowly starting to change towards the children because I think up until that point I don't even know if many people saw them as as, as children I think you know oh, they don't oh that's so heartbreaking is it yeah they're just something to be feared so Dr Matusa and Dr Klein's clinic model the one that they've set up in Romania was used as a basis for other treatment programs 
in 2003, a clinic based on their model was built in Botswana. So now this can be replicated around the world. Mm. I love this. Yeah, and the Botswana Clinic now treats over 1,200 children and it's become a family clinic offering testing and treatment for all members of the family. Other countries followed like Malawi and Uganda, but the list is, is far bigger than that. It's amazing. It is amazing. And these two doctors, they are phenomenal because they had a vision and determination to see it through. But it wouldn't, well, they wouldn't have been able to complete the task. I mean, a huge task that they set themselves to ensure positive children in Romania were provided with better care had it not been for a task force of volunteers. And one of those volunteers was Stephen Doyle, who we mentioned in the last episode. We're going to feature him next week. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that because I was about to. I know you enjoy how much I just fire questions at you just without giving you any chance to answer any of them. I was about to start doing that. Like, how did he get involved? And why did he go over there? And when did it start? Don't need to do that now. I'll just wait till next week. Yep. He'll be uh, next week's episode. Now, I haven't said, and I said we would, what happened to the children that were affected? More than half of them are still alive. And they've gone on, some of them, to have their own children. Amazing. So there's a report published by a group called HIV Outcomes. No date, but it collates data up to 2013. So I'm going to assume it was published after that. The report says... The result of the incredible efforts of those who fought this epidemic has helped Romania to build strong infrastructure and a good system to support people living with HIV. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're definitely on the right track. Uh, Dr. Matusa. Actually, I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly. Dr. Matusa. 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 I think it's Dr. Matusa. Yeah. We can always make it Q. I don't know what it would be. We've heard my friend's pronunciations. Maybe, you know, we just apologise if we are mention- saying any names incorrectly. We are doing yeah, our best. Just, it's a caveat for all episodes, isn't it? Yeah. It's a disclaimer that we should put everywhere. Yeah, please say okay. that's an apology for any episode ever where we've mispronounced something. Dr. Matusa, she set up the first HIV charity. She's a very high achiever, this woman, isn't she? In Romania... In Romania, it's called Associate Speranta or the Hope Association. And that led the way for other charities to be set up to support those living with HIV. She also came up with another initiative. So she wanted the children under her care to have opportunities um, and normality and skills. And she set up something called uh, Number 12 Primaveri Street, a working farm that offers opportunities for teenagers and young adults living with HIV to get back on their feet. She, she does so much. I love her. She's thinking not just about the like the here right now, we'll care for the children. It's she's thinking about their futures. Yeah, yeah, she is. And and the life skills they're gonna need yeah. to live independently. So even though they haven't had the best start, she's doing everything that she can within her power to make sure that they have a good quality of life now. I love her. I love her too. I hope she's not freaked out by that. <laughs> so, as I said, the children are grown up now. Some have children of their own. HIV is well managed. Some are able to work, but those that aren't are on disability benefits. But I have to stress, Romania is still a relatively poor country. So life is not easy for a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of stigma still. There's a lot of poverty. Jobs are low paid. Sometimes jobs aren't available. I mean, life is tough compared to what we know 
in this country. But although they had a very difficult start to life, it's good to know that, you know, they've gone on and created their own families despite their early years. I don't think anyone would disagree that what happened to them during the early years of their life would have had a a huge impact on them now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Been through so much. They really have. So I don't think we can say that it was a happy ending because in reality, we just don't, we don't know. Without the compassion of Dr. Matusa, Dr. Klein and volunteers like Stephen, it's unlikely that any of those children would still be alive today. True. It need, we needed people to step in and help take care of them and, and just give them some love. Oh, this yeah. is still quite sad, Sarah. It is sad. Yes, it is. And uh, like I said, there isn't really, uh, uh, I can't say with any certainty, they all lived happily ever after. Mm. I'm sure some of them didn't. But it's heartwarming to know that there are doctors and volunteers in the world that want to make a difference. Yeah. Can you imagine if I'd gone over there, I'd have brought all of the children home with me. You really would have. Oh, I would. I wonder if we don't know so much about it only because you know that like the sort of the time scales that we've talked about this happening is that was sort of around the time that we were starting to talk about HIV and like the AIDS epidemic within England perhaps that's why because you know we had all the tombstone ads and we had all of the kind of chaos let's call it around that here because it kind of felt a bit like chaos didn't it Mm. um and so I wonder if that's why that it was never really picked up because we were, well, A, we know it was under the dictatorship, but then we were dealing with our own issues around, you know, HIV at that time. Perhaps, I don't know. Yeah, I think it could have been. I think each country, sadly, was just focused on its own epidemic. A bit like COVID, I suppose, where to start with, you're watching, aren't you? To begin it, it seems really far away and then suddenly it comes to your country and that's actually what you're then really focused on, isn't it? Like what's happening here? Yeah, definitely. And I think sadly, as always, it's all to do with money, isn't it? And the most affluent countries could afford the medication that was discovered and therefore, you know, could treat their patients a lot more quickly than than other countries. I think what I've forgotten during all of this is that, of course, there were children affected. I've never really kind of taken that into account before. And I don't think we've talked about it. I mean, obviously, we've talked about specific children, like we've talked about Ryan White, not not on sort of a mass scale like this. No, because yeah, it just wasn't wasn't kind of talked about. Job because it's not an easy subject. So once again, I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say thank you to Stephen Doyle every week because I really, honestly, it's it's so important. I think that we do talk about these things. You know, I know we're quite lighthearted. So when we do these episodes, it's you know it is a bit of a, a turn in a different direction for us, but very, very, very important that we cover it. It is, yes. And it's a part of HIV history, isn't it? So we couldn't not include it. And as we always say, we didn't know anything about this. Yeah. I feel like we know nothing about nothing. Nothing about everything, Sarah, is essentially should be our strap line. Come and join us on the HIV podcast, where we certainly have not worked in the industry for nearly 40 years, because we seem to be shocked and surprised by everything we learn each week about HIV. (laughs) So true, though, isn't it? Every episode. One or other of us is going, I didn't know that. Oh, I swear every episode I say to you, well, I didn't know anything about that. And you go, I didn't either, Jess. We're like, no, no, we did not. We're in our own little bubble. But how? How do people become experts in HIV? How much learning have they done? I don't know if anybody even gives themselves that title. 
I don't know that they could, right? Look at me. If someone has given themselves that title, I'm just taking it away from them. What we've covered throughout this podcast are so many differing people, factors, walks of life, I, pop culture moments. I feel like you couldn't be an expert in all of those because they span such a wide area. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, we're on the way to becoming experts at some point when we finally stop being shocked and or saying, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe we should start our podcast by saying we already knew all of this, but we were guessing perhaps you didn't. That'll do it. You reckon? I think people like learning with us. I think they like that we're not know-it-alls. We're not here being like, right, let me tell you all my thoughts. We're we're actually, because I bet some people are with us with some of the questions where they're like, oh, yeah, I want to know that too, you know? Mm. Yeah, you're right. One day, one day we'll be experts in our field. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're doing well as it is, you know. Look at me. I'm going to give us some praise there. Well, we knew more than when we started this. So that's got to count for something. That is very true. This is our, wait, 72nd episode. When do we get to do a big celebratory? You have to have inflatable number balloons. That seems to be what everybody does, isn't it? We have to have a party where just you and me go because we're so socially awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely going to wear my cloak for that. So we'll have helium balloons with a hundred. I'll wear my cloak. You yeah. just come as you are. Really? I might wear we glitter. Don't... Oh, and we can just be socially awkward together. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just won't speak to each other. We'll just look at our phones. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.